Roll for initiative. to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, bar, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to, to have, have fun. fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is the legend Carrie. It's going to be one of those shows. Yeah, it is. I'm still sniffly. Awesome. Also joining us is Jason, the favorite. And the one with the weirdest nightmares today. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you, did you want to share? No. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> well, before we get into the goods, let's get a report on our Patreon backers. They're still there. They're there. They're there. They're there. I love them all. They're so what's the the wizard level ones? Yeah, our wizard level ones. Uh, the first up is uh, Cameron. He's my favorite. Cameron's your favorite. Cameron Pruitt. He's my favorite Pruitt. Oh, okay. What about do, Ryan Do you know Martin? any other Pruitts? No. Well. No. Okay. Isn't there a... No. No, nope, sorry. <laughs> what about Ryan Martin? Is he's, he your favorite Martin? It was, no, he's my favorite Ryan. I, oh. have, other, I have other favorite Martins. Oh. We won't talk about that. <laughs> But he's uh, my favorite, right? We've also uh, got Drew Stevens. Right. Yeah. And Noah Coltrip. Yay. Right. We're still waiting on Noah to send us in I his... I know. Come uh, on, Noah. I want to roast. His character information for us to roast. I'm going to... If, if you don't send us information soon, Ryan... Or Ryan... Oh, God. That's I'm right tired. here. Hi. <laughs> Noah. Noah, if you don't send us information soon, I'm just going to make up a character for you and roast it. To be fair, it can't be more roastable than... Our previous character that we we'll roasted. see. Okay. We'll see. So, what is our top secret one this week? Oh, uh, that is uh, the fifteenth Doctor. Oh, I like that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, if if you guys want to have your names said, what do you, you do? Go to our Patreon. Okay. And support us. What is that Patreon? Uh, it's patreon.com slash honor roll podcast. Wow. Yeah, Ryan's all wigged out because I just stepped on his line. I'm sorry. And then didn't deliver. I know. <laughs> I told you guys, I don't feel good. Well, I like to, when someone feels really bad and they're kind of run down, I like to ask them a lot of high-pressure questions. There we go. Okay. Really fast Keep while asking. we're recording. Yeah. Woo. So you can get lots of free stuff or shout-outs or anything yeah. like that. There's there's all sorts of cool things you can get if you become a patron of the show. And it helps us keep the, the show on the air and pay for things like our, our podcast hosting and stuff like that. So and, and we try to pressure Carrie into posting something every week. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. I'll do that. So, okay. yeah. So, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. So, when last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting here at this table recording one of these stupid podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we don't ever leave. I know. Carrie, what have you been up to? How's the uh, Twitch doing? Twitch is doing pretty good. Um, they make it, medication for that. No, my Twitch channel, I, I stream on there. I stream art. Um, this past Friday, we had a really, really good uh, good uh, show, I guess you could call That's it. That's right. Uh, Dakota hosted. Oh, and, I wish uh, I'd gotten to catch that and one. And it, you know, it was drawing with Dakota. And mm-hmm. uh, she had more people watching her than I ever do. Well, you know, and, <laughs> she's tux adorbs. She is. She's pretty adorable. Right. And um, she, uh, like, but like, like. We had more, um, 
we had like more donations cool. and uh, we've got three people on the cheer board, which was exciting. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like felt like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> so now I just have to have Dakota stream every day and we'll do OK, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a fun channel. People like yeah. kids. People yeah, like they kids. do. Uh, Never compete with them, right? Yeah, no or doubt. cute puppies. <gasps> yes. You should have the dog on drawing, oh, too. Oh, there we go. No, um, and, like, I got another patron on my Patreon, so that's oh, good. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, um, on Saturday, yesterday, we uh, had, I, I did a opening for a gallery. I was at a gallery that opened that I'm hol- having some of my stuff in. Do you have stuff in there yeah, now? I do. Would you like to plug that gallery? Sure. I can't pronounce it. Okay. Then we'll put it in the show no, notes. It's a, <laughs> no, it's a Hetzel Gallery. I always say, am I saying that right? Hetzel? Mm-hmm. Hetzel Gallery here in Cleveland. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a little gallery, but it's super cute. And I've Little got, galleries are great. Yeah. And I've got uh, four pieces, I believe, up in it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it's fun. Yeah, I'm glad you've got something hanging somewhere again. Yeah, it it feels good. It's way better to have stuff hanging on somebody's wall than sitting in my studio, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. What about you, Jason? What what you been up to? What you doing, girl? Well, uh, my my long night shift is coming to an end, thankfully. I don't believe it. I'm I'm not 100% (laughs) convinced myself. But the, the big thing is, like last week, I was reading Blades in the Dark, and I'm getting close to finishing that because with my work schedule, I don't get to read a whole lot. Uh, but I really love the system. It's cool. It kind of ties into one of the things we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, what kind of game you want to run. So maybe I'll get back more into that when we get into the meat of it. But uh, it's a it's an interesting system. I'm I'm really enjoying it. What have cool. you been doing, Ryan? Nothing. That sounds right. Yeah. Huddling in your Star Wars uh, blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about it. That's about uh, it. Yeah. I actually really uh, truthfully have nothing new. Well, yesterday we. We LARPed. I mean, we did, yeah. We LARPed last night. You sound really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a fun LARP. Mm -hmm. It was a fun LARP? Yeah. Good job, Kevin. You entertained them. (laughs) And Travis and and Jason. How's work going? It's it's busy. (laughs) It's busy? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, really, I I don't have a personal life. I have a wife and a kid who are very needy and clingy. I understand. Same. (laughs) Everybody at the table has that except Carrie. That's true. Right. Because you're not, yeah. you're more double needy than needy clingy, at least according <laughs> to the IMs I get. So now that we've worked on all our marriages, uh, yeah. what else do we got? Yeah. You mean no marriages? <sighs> this is, this show's going to, we're going to. High energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have shows where, where you listen to them as they're being recorded and you go, you know what? This show's gonna really, really do well. And then there's this show. Oh, come on. Come on. We're, gonna, we're gonna turn this around. Well, tell me about these new postcards uh, y'all well, have. Well, you know what? Uh, I, we're gonna play test the gun belt at uh, at Conuga in okay. two weeks. And one of the things about about play testing is I think it's always cool if you play test the new game that's not out yet. You know, if you get something, you get a little oh, freebie thing. That's cool. Uh, and because the game's not going to kickstart till closer to summer, I need to give away something that will remind them how to find us, I guess, or connect us connect us in some way. And so, sure. uh, so we built uh, we made a postcard that looks like 
uh, you know they used to do those Autobahn Society wildlife postcards? Oh, yeah. So we did a, a postcard for one of the dinosaur creatures so in, this is in the, the gun belt. Is it going to be the Herodon? Is the one that everybody gets? It is. It's, it's one of my favorite art, yeah. arts for the game. I, li- I like yeah. arts. I like arts. It's okay. Yeah. So I, I mean, like you, some of your character drawings I saw earlier. You yeah. looks like you've got a few more of those done. So, you know, so that's kind of that's kind of cool. But uh, so, yeah. So if you want to come to Kanuga and play Test the Gun Belt, you'll, you'll get a postcard. And you can awesome. also come to Kanuga and listen to us record. That's right. We're going to record an episode, and uh, hopefully it'll be a good one. We believe it's going to be on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's going to be Saturday at 11 a.m. Yeah. Uh, but check the, the – the, you can download the app and, and look in the, the schedule. And there. as soon as we find out, we'll post on our Facebook as well. Absolutely. The app is called Attendify. Oh, no. I love app names. Right? Because mm-hmm. they're clearly something somebody's reached way up in their uh, imagination. They, they think they're right being outs. clever. And it's like, yeah. no, Have you guys seen that episode of Teen Titans Go where Robin becomes obsessed with this? <laughs> he becomes obsessed with this app on his phone uh, that lets them trade for goods and services. But uh, in the process of it, he keeps calling it this new phone application. And at some point, he decides, he says, you know, I, I hate the fact that application is such a long word. We need to find a way to shorten it. Yeah. So that we can say it faster. And and Raven says, how about app? And he goes, that's a great idea. We'll drop those first three letters. <laughs> and so for the rest of the episode, he keeps referring to this new location. <laughs> so there you go. I don't care. Everyone that, that complains about Teen Titans Go!, it's like just you have not actually watched it. It's really funny. You know, first of all, Teen Titans Go is hilarious. It is. Second of all, go back and watch the old series again. It, yeah, it's goofy. It is very goofy, especially yeah. like the first season. Yeah, I think I, I really think the reason Teen Titans Go gets a bad rap is because people were sad that the other Teen Titans went well, away. I was one of those people. It was know. sad, but I, I like Teen Titans Go as its own thing. Yeah, it's absolutely. a separate thing, and I think it's very funny. And right. you know, these I, people, I still need to see Go to the movies. Well, go I to the seen movies. It yet. Now I just keep forgetting. To watch it, it's, it's great. It's on my end, list. It's got it's got an ending. Yeah. Yep. Hey, I saw Lego two uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. All it's right. good. All right. I've heard. I've heard a lot. It's of the people... best credit sequence ever made. Oh, really? Good. Okay. Absolutely. The the closing credits. Yes. Scene? No no secret scene or anything. Just the last the credit sequence. You know. It's all animated. It's all animated. Cool. And it's about 10 minutes long or 15, and the whole thing is uh, Beck and Lonely Island singing over the credits <laughs> while they're, like, like like a 10-minute-long song of them singing with Beck singing and Lonely Island rapping uh-huh. over it, and then there's a whole bunch of Lego stuff going on. It, it was worth the price of admission to watch the credits <laughs> and that's, that's a weird thing to say that's fine well, alright yeah, you know what nothing is as good as the first Lego movie well yeah because you know what? it has such heart it's so well it's good. not that it's well let me let me rephrase <laughs> it's a really great movie yeah it is yeah but what put it over the top was it was super original yes so you can't repeat originality well and the gimmick is out Right, the gimmick is out. Right, you know, which that was the only thing wrong with the second one for me is that, well, you know, this you, is great. Right, but you already know there will be live action, live action and Legos. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm thinking of the Batman movie. Never mind. That's 
Yeah, the Batman was, Lego movie which was pretty great, great too. but like because they didn't have any live yeah. action in it, because it, it was totally it felt, in universe. Yeah, it, that felt weird. Yeah. I was like, but shouldn't at some point they show the little kid playing with Batman? <laughs> All right, Lego Two is worth watching because every single every single line in it is a reference to something, mm. but it's not overwhelming. So they're they're selling packs of Lego people mm-hmm. now where like and there's like 20 of them or for, for Lego movie for two. Lego movie two just a little package that's got one Lego figure but you don't know which Lego figure you're yeah. getting and you can't get the guy that's in the package from any other set they're only oh, available that's cool. right but except for one of them is Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter that's so <laughs> so Ryan has been like <laughs> How we many have you to we, you know we got him on the third try okay okay and, but now Dakota is obsessed because there's a dinosaur guy in it right right so she desperately wants the dinosaur guy <laughs> and so she said well we have to keep going because daddy got his figure. so i gotta get mine i've got to get my figure and i'm like we're gonna have like 50 of these are characters. they reasonable uh they like were three four... fi- 350 that's not bad no it's, it's not, not bad it's not two or three a week you can yeah. yeah i mean yeah like we do one per paycheck or whatever yeah. you know it's not bad, what you do but... is you get some uh, lego bricks and you line them up yeah, along something. along like a, a shelf, right? Well, you know they're cool because they come with a little a little white flat stand. piece that they stand on. Oh, yeah. okay, and so cool. that's kind of neat. But yeah, the, they did an Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter uh, <laughs> figure, and it's super cool. Uh, so, all right, well, let's go ahead and <laughs> let's go now that we've talked about everything except the topic of our should, show. Yeah, we should start a Lego LARP. <gasps> <laughs> you know, somebody at. I didn't get to play in it, but in Chattacon, one of the other big conventions in Chattanooga, they used to run a Play-Doh uh, RPG every year, and I, I missed it. I wish Whoa. I had to do it. It it looked like a lot of fun. Weird. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put that on the back burner for <laughs> the next LARP we run. All right. Is that a... I, see, now, see, what I want to run is I want to run a Blockbuster LARP. Were you bus blocks? No. You're renting videos to people? Well, I did email. Remember the, when we talked about this, like, I don't know, six or seven episodes ago as a uh, joke? I emailed Blockbuster, and they haven't been able to get them to reply to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Josh, Heath, you're the guy. You know you can get a hold of anybody. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do the Blockbuster, Blockbuster LARP. Right. All right. Let's go to combat rounds. <laughs> Combat rounds, the part of the show that's circular and filled with fighting. Ah, that's... We should fight more. Okay. No, we shouldn't. That drives viewership. Right. Oh, now you're trying to anti-fight me. Don't even get started. (laughs) I just think that we should all get along. Ever since you've grown a beard, you've been so... So I, since 1990? Yes. <laughs> that's what you're saying? Decades before I knew you. Ever since but, 1990, I've been so... Well, you used to have more peace. of a, a chin strap thing going. A chin strap? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell that is. Uh, you know where you don't have all this beard? You you know what? You mean his So Amish? what are we talking are, wait, about no, this hold week? On, hold on. Are you talking about his Amish beard? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an Amish beard. Yeah, it's it, a chin strap. It did look like an Amish beard, though, like... I went to college with a guy that had, just, it was huge. It was like three or four inches straight out all the way around. It was crazy. Oh, his beard. His beard, okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can we go to the... Okay. All right, okay. so today's, t- let's talk about today's topic. Uh, t- <laughs> Beards and role playing. 
Right. <laughs> Today's topic is uh, we're we're actually taking a cue from our uh, our Facebook group. Right. So what? we have a Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash on a roll podcast. And uh, from time to time, people post on there things like, hey, why don't you talk about this topic? And we had a good topic this time. And sometimes we actually read it. So. Mm, right? <laughs> what? Yeah. What? To be fair, I'll always read it. I frequently forget to reply. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so we had a topic s- sent to us. They said that they'd like us to talk about the differences between uh, a sandbox game and a narrative-driven game. So let's talk about sandboxes and narratives. So let's define it first. No. Okay. Okay, now let's define uh, it. Yeah. You, hate, you hate when I step on your line. <laughs> what, you, what you consider your line? I t- my lines are all of them. I, I've, yeah, I'm aware. We know. Aware. All my lines. Uh, Look, I, I, you know, if you uh, step uh, on uh, enough, What was that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, sandbox. No! <laughs> Podcast recording takes us three hours. <laughs> this is why our podcast recording takes us three hours. Because <laughs> you repeat everything. <laughs> well, let's start by defining and talking about what what a sandbox game is, and then we'll talk about what a narrative game is. So, uh, so let's talk about a sandbox game. Uh, what what is a sandbox game? Carrie, you're oh. the one who is sharpest today. Oh gosh, we're in trouble. <laughs> A sandbox game is where you make the universe, and it's in on on of itself. It's um, boxed in like a sandbox. So when we were talking about this before the episode started, you said, "Wow, that's that's like mushes. Most yeah. mushes. Yes, actually, it's very much like. So most mushes don't have like an overarching plot. It's the most of no, the players. No, they do. They do. Well, um, but they're all sandboxes do a little bit. So. Well, I think all games 99. have some kind of plot. Let's let's not. A sandbox game is basically where you've built you've built a world, mm-hmm. you've built a universe, um, and then you basically let all of the players be free, drop into the sandbox and build their own things to to play it with and against. Um, so there are some like can you think of some game systems that are are sandboxes? Yes, uh, power, all the powered by the apocalypse games tend to be sandboxes. They're designed for the. The storyteller, or which you know, different names and different ones, to play to see what happens. You're not supposed to usually create a big overarching story. You're supposed to create ideas that the players either run with or don't. Right. And it's a little more complicated than that, but essentially, you're just playing to see what they do and supporting their role play. Right. The the Binance Studio system we I talked about a little bit before we got on the air is designed to be that way. It's designed to encourage player-versus-player conflict within the sandbox that the storytellers design. Mm-hmm. And you said mushes work like this. Oh, very much so. Yeah, so I mean... what do you, you usually do when you design a mush? Because you're... Um... Because <laughs> you're the expert. Oh, no, don't say that. Well, of the five or six people starting mushes... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're one of them. We're in trouble. Um, no, a lot of times in a mush, you have your your theme mm-hmm. of the world. Right. You, you lay out the places. You lay out some NPCs for people to interact with in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there can be some some uh plot going on but it's usually in the background and people don't have to interact with it with it if they don't want to right um and then people make their characters and they just are kind of plopped in see my favorite kind of plot like that Mm -hmm. is stuff that gives the players something to do 
but they can that gives them something to interact with, not pushes them into it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I actually think that Dungeons and Dragons, if you are not running um an adventure module, Dungeons and Dragons is kind of a sandbox world. Well, I understand what you're saying. And I think the the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons and probably the popularity of it is that it can be run either way very mm-hmm. easily. Right, right. Because it's designed to be but, open-ended for you to do what you want. Sure, with. but I think that that's the case with all sandbox games. You write your core book as a sandbox and then the your your dungeon master or your storyteller at the table decides whether yes. they're, whether they're going to run it as a sandbox or run it as a narrative. Okay, that's fair. You know like because part of the whole idea behind creating a a book that treats a world like a sandbox is that you're literally letting the table decide everything, kind of. Mm-hmm. And you're so, creating pieces. You're not creating plot. right. Yeah, and I think in some respects the 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 dungeon master is sort of like the the gatekeeper mm-hmm. to, who decides whether how much or little it is a sandbox. Mm-hmm. So you could say that the opposite of that would be like the old world darkness line was frequently not sandboxy because it had this really huge, heavy, overarching meta plot. Right. So let's talk about narrative driven games. So a sandbox game is built around a world. Right. And a narrative game tends to be built around a plot. A story that's being told. I right. always, and I know this is kind of slightly off topic, but I always think of, of narrative games kind of like a video game. Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. like you're, Some of you my know, favorite video games are narrative-driven instead yeah. of being sandbox worlds. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, well, I think most video games are... Well, they used to be. They're, uh, they're probably right. a lot more now. You know you've got to go do these things to advance to the next level. Sure. You know, it, it, it is a... I don't want to say it's You're being pushed like, around on a rail. Yeah, To a yeah. certain extent. It's you know, not all narration yeah, is it's, it's linear. linear. Linear is the best way, you know, yeah. and so, you know, like, in, that's the same thing with any kind of role-playing game. If it's if if you've got to go from A to B to C to D, right, right. So if you're running an adventure module in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, then it's probably your what you're running is more narrative mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. than sandboxy. Uh, the other thing, so like you said, a great example of a narrative game is is the old World of Darkness game games, uh, and even I guess it can be sandboxy, but yeah. it feels designed for you to be well, interacting with a. Sp- the world in a specific way. I, here, I think, you know, we were talking a, a minute ago about the dungeon master being this gatekeeper. Mm. I think it's the same way. Ultimately, the the storyteller is going to decide if the table is sandbox or, right. or narrative driven. Because I've seen, you know, you could take the, the, the old world of darkness and decide we're going to run a world of darkness game and not run any of their meta plot. Mm-hmm. So right, you're, taking a narrati- oh, yeah. you're taking a narrative world and, and running it like a sandbox. What would you say about Call of Cthulhu? Because the characters tend to have a very strong arc because of things like the sanity mechanic. I think the sanity mechanic kind of forces all of the, war- all of the Call of Cthulhu games to be a bit, of an, a bit more narrative driven. I think that's their strength, though, because yeah. you have to tell a strong story. Because well, you're forced into an arc. I, I also think it's uh, we need to note that most games are a little bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you no. don't just have a sandbox day, game. You don't just have a narrative game. You know, most at least well done games have a combination of both. And they take advantage of the strengths of both of them yes, as best absolutely. they can. Like a lot of these blockbuster LARPs, while they tend to be more sandboxy, from everything I've read. They still build some narrative into their character descriptions. The, the difference is, is how much 
choice the players have in what they're going to interact with. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's talk about about running a, sand, a sandbox game. So obviously there is. I kind of I've kind of feel like there's two sides to this. The first side, which we've already talked about a little bit, is is from a publishing aspect. Sure. Right. It's it's written and printed as an, a sandbox, or written and printed as a more more narrative driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with White Wolf, it's particularly narrative driven. Because uh, there are a lot of people who would say, well, no, White Wolf's this great sandbox. But White Wolf would publish some books that were source books, like uh, tribe books and clan books. But then they would also publish books that were that were adventure modules mm-hmm. and or, or campaign modules. And they're considered canon to the setting, usually. Right. And so the thing about those old White Wolf source books is that even in those source books, they were always moving their meta plot forward. Mm-hmm. Right, it was always getting closer to the apocalypse or Gehenna or whatever in every one of those books, and so every because they were always moving that narrative forward, they were building a more narrative-driven world than than like Dungeons and Dragons, where they just release uh, source books that are more monsters, mm-hmm. or or a <laughs> or, new, or a city or a setting, new cities, right? So, so how do you run a sandbox game? Well, I think that with a sandbox game, you start with uh, more of your theme or genre. You okay. Know, you, you decide what it is. You're like, okay, this is a Dungeons Dragons game. It's going to be Forgotten Realms, and it's going to be in this place. And so then you start thinking about those locations. You know, you start thinking about, well, where is the tavern? Because, you know, in a you know, Dungeons and Dragons games, they're going to go to a tavern and look for a adventurer's wanted poster mm-hmm. yeah, or whatever, and, you know. And we've talked about this before. It's also, it's also very important that when you build the tavern, you build what's next door to it. Right. right. You know, and so you, you build the town, you build wherever they're going to be role playing at. Um, this is, uh, in mushes is very important. Even if, even if you just describe these, there's these 20 stores on the street and you don't build each of those locations, but it gives them a feeling of what they can do, you know, and, and you're just giving them opportunities. I think as important as locations is the, like the factions within your setting. Mm-hmm. So the players have something to interact with politically yes. and uh, ideologically. There's a lot of Bofferlarps now that are being written that are designed around the idea that four or five factions are competing over a certain goal, and while that does have a, an arc to a certain extent, most of the gameplay is determined by the players in the field and the decisions they make. Mm-hmm. And how those factions interact is is driven by that, not by the arc. Right, the and play- s- some of that falls into just that theme, mm-hmm. you know, creating your theme. Um, I think that even when you're running a sandbox game, like there's nobody at nobody at Wizards of the Coast is publishing sandbox Dungeons and Dragons books, thinking to themselves, uh, nobody is ever gonna, you know, find out that a princess was kidnapped by a dragon. <laughs> Go rescue the princess, kill the dragon, and get the money at the end. Like right. I mean, they're not fooling themselves. We know mm-hmm. we know what happens in in your sort of uh, the generic Dungeons stereotype and Dragons Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, game. yeah but. Um, obviously not everybody were, that's really oversimplifying and stuff, but I, I think that you lay out those thematic elements and possibilities and then you just lift your hands back and, you know, let my players go. Mm-hmm. I played in a really good Shadowrun game several years ago in which it felt like we had a free run of the city. I mean, there were missions, but so many of them were driven by decisions that we made that you mm-hmm. never felt like that there was like an arc arc that was being forced on you. There was things happening in the background, but what was most important to us was the city 
that we were living in. Yeah. I really think that Sandbox is uh, really focused on character development. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, if you enjoy, like, crying in a corner and, you know, being all emotional or just uh, detailing that type of stuff, um, I think Sandbox is, is definitely the way to go. That's kind of fascinating to me because, like, in video games, it feels like the opposite. Like, I'm never gonna tear up at Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Minecraft. But right. I, it's never gonna give me an emotional moment. Right. But I've played games like uh, Sinuous Sacrifice Hellblade, in which it is very much on the rails. There's very few narrative decisions in the game. Mm-hmm. But you become so... Uh, uh, into the story. Sure. Everything sure. becomes important to you, what this person's going through, because it's not a sandbox. You, you're there. You're but being in told a, a sandbox, story. Yeah. You're not being told a story, story in a sandbox, but in a role playing game where you're controlling the character, which is different. You are telling a story, right? but you're not necessarily telling an overarching right. story. You're telling your story. Yes. I do think though that you're, you're still telling stories in sandboxes. Sure, but absolutely. I think it's about how you're you're letting people discover those stories. That's true too, right? Mm-hmm. Like in a narrative game, I might open with uh, you know everyone in the town going crazy because there's this bank heist going on up the street, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, is you guys have to go find the folks who robbed the bank or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, in a sandbox game, I might we might just drop you into the middle of the town, and then I'd see. You know what? If you guys walk into the bank, maybe someone will rob it. If you guys walk into the the tavern, well, maybe uh, they I'll rob have, the tavern. Yeah, or whatever. Like yeah. I just sit back and I see what you're gonna do, but uh, it doesn't mean that you're not still gonna experience a story. It just a lot of times means we're all gonna just make it up as we go a little bit. So that it's would a lot be more improv. That would be perfect for the lazy DM, right? <laughs> yeah, but you also have to be more sharp. You have to be on top of your game, you know, definitely. Like, you have to be ready to improvise on your yeah, toes. Yeah, improv- being able to improvise is, you know, a lot of people, like, joke and say it's, like, a lazy thing. Yeah. But, like, that's way harder. Than it's having harder a in the moment, but I don't have to spend uh, twice as much time designing the adventure as y'all mm-hmm. be playing it. That's true. Yeah, but, like, you just have to, you know, it just takes a different type of storyteller. You have to be a little better on your feet. Yeah. And, and the- they're both... Okay, storytellers. What's the book? Different. Lazy... The Lazy DM. The Lazy DM. Yeah. Perfect example. It's all about how that... You just write up some notes and make it work out. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. So let's talk about why you would want to run a sandbox. Obviously, I think that sandboxes, you're far more likely to encounter a sandbox in uh, a mush or a LARP than yes. you are in a tabletop game. Absolutely. I know like when we were running, when we were running our LARPs, we would often sit down and we would, like when the game was getting ready to start, we would all look at and desi- design the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd figure out what's going on, what's going on in our world. Okay, well, if it's a vampire game, we know that the, uh, you know, the Sabbat have a, have their headquarters over on this side of town and the Camarilla's on o- over here. And this yeah, is where we figure out the factions. Are. And you kind of decide and... what areas of the city are controlled by who and you decide who's the mayor. What are what are what's his deal? What's his deal? Right. Who are the powerful, influential people? And you kind of just make some quick notes about the general generalities of the city, mm-hmm. and then you show up to the first game and you see what your players want to go explore, right? Mm-hmm. And that's very much how mushes work. Yeah. Um, and I think and and tabletops can work that game. 
Tabletop the lead dudes tend to be more narrative. It's according to the tabletop, really. Right. Right, and there's a there are exceptions to the LARP thing where LARPs tend to be more narrative, and we could talk we'll talk about those in a few minutes. But mm-hmm. uh, for in general, though, you're more likely to see a sandbox situation in a mush or a LARP than than in a tabletop game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do see them, and I think some of that too is the tabletop games um, are so they're so interpersonal, you know, because it's just four of you or five of you staring at one another across mm-hmm. the table that it's it's a little uh, just the the mechanics of the social interaction in real life make it easier to just be more narrative driven. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm looking at you and thinking about your character. So let's create something that will make your character be awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. So those sort of conversations make sandboxes, e- you know, less, I wouldn't say they're more or less easy to have in a tabletop game. I just think that sandboxes are less likely. Sure. Um, but strangely enough, you do see a lot of game systems, though, that are written to be sandboxes for tabletops, you know, where they're really wanting the storyteller or the and or the players to craft something of With, their own mm-hmm. at it, the table. Uh, the, is, doesn't the is it the Dresden Files that does that? Like, well, the, literally. Dresden, the Dresden Files actually has you create a town by yeah. with one another. Um, what is that powered by the, the apocalypse? The Dresden Files? No, it's a fake core, I believe. I haven't played it. It is. Only it read is. About it's it. fake. There's but some. There's a that. version of fate in which you sit down at the table and you've not designed anything at yeah, all. Yeah. Well, yet. that's kind of what you build the whole world and mm-hmm. what genre you're playing. Right. I've seen. Uh, I've seen people play fate where they sit down and the storyteller's got a stack of index cards and he says. What is this? Is this a horror game, a superhero game, a vamp, a supernatural game? What are we playing? And somebody says it, and that's what they decide. And then they're like, great. What are you guys? What are your characters doing? Are you, you know, they go, okay, sure. A supernatural game. Great. Okay. So what brings your characters together? Are you, uh, are you being tormented by the supernatural or are you looking, Creatures looking or... for it? Do you know about it? Do you, and they just build it and they fill out these cards as they go. And then suddenly they, they just play the game that they're playing. It yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it's cra- there's a if you'd like to see an example of that, there is an episode of Will Wheaton's show. Uh, I think it's just Tabletop, right? Isn't that the name of Will Wheaton's I, show? I don't know. I don't watch that one. Um, and I probably he, should. I think it's called Tabletop. And he had the guys who designed, who created Fate on there, and they ran a game that way. Oh, and that it's sounds crazy. like a lot of it's fun. Crazy. It's fun. Yeah, I guess you really do have to be on top of your uh, game to do that. So way. it's lazy. Yeah. It's lazy in a prep time sense, right? But it. But you have to be very, very quick. So it's intense. But yeah. isn't that what we want from experience? Maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what sometimes you. Sometimes you don't want your storyteller to be all stressed out. Right. What? No. Uh, that's the opposite of what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think sandbox require uh, sharper. Sharper DMs, sharper storytellers. Mm-hmm. I also think, better at improvising. Right. Yeah. I also think that. Uh, more creative players tend to enjoy sandboxes more. And they do better. In fact, I've, yeah. I've read a... Com- when I was OSTing, a complaint was when I was trying to run it more sandboxy that players who were naturally more creative or who got certain aspects of the genre better did so much better that people felt left out. Right. Because the those, the really clever people do so yeah. much better than those. Yeah. Also, people who are really bold tend to do really well mm-hmm. in sandbox settings because right. they are driving the narrative because there isn't Cause the another narrative, narrative. If the narrative is not driving, then the players are. Right. Yeah. And so if you got somebody really loud at your table, 
than they're driving it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I also think that that you know another reason why you might want to run a sandbox game is because it does allow you a bit more freedom, mm-hmm. you know, creatively. Uh, and then you know the the simplest reason is just you run a sandbox game because that's what you prefer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there's the nothing wrong with that either way. Right. So let's talk about narrative driven games. So how. Pew, pew. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, how do you run a, a narrative-driven game? Obviously, I, I mean, right out the gate, it's more plot-driven, right? So, you usually have a plot structure of some type. So, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? And I, when I write something like that, I tend to make it a little choose-your-own-adventure, but I'm also employing a little magician's choice to make things work out so mm-hmm. that it has a definite to, middle and end. To be clear, we're not suggesting that narrative-driven games are railroads. No, no. I think it's sort of like what we talked about a I few episodes ago, bus ticketing. Hey, here's this cool experience. Mm-hmm. It's over here. Yeah. You know? But I mean, I think that sometimes you have to railroad a little bit in a narrative. To get things started? Well, I think, I don't know that, I think that there's a difference between railroading and guiding. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like when you were talking or before leading. about, hey, sometimes there's a bank robbery happening right in front of you. And you guys are fighting off these uh, bank robbers, and you start your story like that. Are they a little railroaded? You can call it whatever you want. Are you railroading them, or are you lead them, leading them to the adventure? Yeah, and that's right? different. Like I think that railroad. Here's the thing: is when I say so, when I say there is a when I say there's a bank robbery happening, and and there are bullets flashing past your head, you know, what do you do? Obviously, you know, they have choices. They can go try and help help the bankers, you know, try and stop the bank robbery. They could go and maybe try to help the robbers and see if they can join in. They can uh they can duck and hide <laughs> and investigate after the shooting's over. Mm-hmm. They could run away, right? They still have choices. I'm leading them to the adventure that starts with a bank robbery, but I'm not necessarily railroading them. If I was railroading them, I would say I, I would create a reason why their only choice was to mm-hmm. do what I wanted them to do. You know what? I've played in games like that before that were fun. Yeah? I'm sort of along for the ride. You like trains. But I like trains. <laughs> but I, you know, as long as I'm getting to do something that's exciting and interesting, that doesn't bother me. If right. the plot's good, I don't mind the railroad. <laughs> yeah, so I think what's more important with a, a narrative game is to just stress that there are there's a bit of structure and there are plot points that maybe need to have to be hit. But how you get to those plot points is still kind of left in the hands of the, the players. You know, a lot of event games for, uh, especially for org LARPs, tend to be mm-hmm. a little, well, I mean, I, no, they I tend shouldn't to be say narrative. Little. They're narrative. Yeah. They're structured. You know certain things are going to happen. Hey, this, this bigwig is going to show up and, and make an announcement. He's going to do stuff. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and, and that's think, that's kind of in this next part that we were going to talk about is is why do you run, why do you run uh, a game that's more narrative structured? And I think that that's definitely one of them. You have a short playtime, a, a, a your your timing is structured, so your game has to like you are at a one shot game at a convention and you have three hours and it's the only it's the only time you have. Right. So you have to get everything that will make this game fun. Out. Mm-hmm. This is what you promise people, mm-hmm. right? So you got to get it in. So your beginning, middle, and end has to happen in three hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a little structure there, right? Yeah. 
Um, I also think that, uh, so that happens at like one shots, event games. Sometimes some blockbuster, some big blockbuster events and things are like that. Some are not. So one of the things I was reading about Damarung is that they have, Damarung! they have this cool idea of anytime there's going to be something going on that everybody's going to want to be involved in, they put it on like an outline or something before the game starts. So, like, hey, this big field battle's going to happen, and if you want to go to it... You have to be it, in this field at time It's going to be at 2 p.m. <laughs> so they schedule Fair. it, and everybody knows, out of Just add a character they We're going to have a field battle then, and we already know why. So our characters, we should decide why our characters are going to be there. Like, maybe our characters don't want to be in it, and we accidentally stumble yeah. into oh, it. No. But because I know when it's going to be, I can either avoid it or not. Sure. Right. And you know what? You can do that at a Polar LARP uh, event game, too. Mm-hmm. You can just be like, hey, guys, the the big, crazy, powerful Justicar or whatever is going to show up halfway through the game and make a big announcement. If you don't want to interact with that, don't be here then. And, and actually, like in Mushes... When we schedule events, mm-hmm. that's narrative. Yeah, there's actually bulletin board, electronic bulletin boards in the mush. Where I go, hey, system. on this Tuesday, something terrible is going to happen at the school. We're running wanna, plot. We're <laughs> running, yeah, no, literally, yeah, we're it's, running plot. It's if you of, guys want to be part of it, be here at seven p.m. It's that's kind cool. of, it's kind of like a Facebook event. Yeah, like you just say, yeah. you just say, you put this event up and you say seven p.m. on Thursday at the coffee shop there will be a robbery. So you you're saying that well, and the point I was trying to make earlier too is structure can be more inclusive at times. Sometimes mm-hmm. because yeah. it means that you can tell people flat out these points are going to be hit, mm-hmm. so you can be involved with them or not. Or it's not up to you. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I think, and I think that that's. That plays into one of these reasons of why you would have a more structured game is because your players are all young, are all newer, right? You know, if there are, if you've got a group of of newer players who, like a more experienced player, is going to be more uh, capable of of having a good experience in a sandbox and let frequently less interested in something strongly narrative driven right i mean you would even said that have to be you had even said that uh earlier that when you were when you were the organizational storyteller that that you you heard from some people that there were there were long-term players who were very experienced who really thrived in the more sandboxy areas uh, and and that's the same case. Like if you're still learning the game or learning how to play a role playing game at all, you're often shy or hesitant because you're worried you're going to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know there is an element of abstract to role playing. Oh, absolutely. Games that is sometimes uh, hard to grasp for new players. And even experienced players aren't always comfortable taking these bold choices without them knowing that there's a little bit of narrative support that's right. going to be yeah. there. It's kind of like in video games how there's this tend now, there's this tendency now for uh, large games that are very sandboxy. Yes. They start like the first couple of hours of play are very narrative. Mm-hmm. They're very linear because the first thing you do is you encounter uh, like your character starts out hunting and you have to it takes a moment to teach you how to shoot your bow and arrow. Sure. And then later, a, a little bit later, you you encounter someone where you have to sell the, you know, you have to sell the deer that you just killed and and craft the hide from it or whatever. It teaches it, you it teaches everything you, you the, need to the, know. Teaches you the commerce and the commerce system, and then it teaches you the crafting system and stuff. And it does those things before it lets you loose and goes, okay, sandbox now. Right. And and I think that that's uh, um, a little bit 
with with running a, a narrative game in a tabletop is you're you're teaching your new players how the role how dice rolling works how mm-hmm. you yeah. know and and so I think newer players tend to to do better if you introduce them to something that's a little more narrative driven. And any game that you run, you need to teach the people that are playing in it what's the sorts of things that they can do. Right. Whether they're experienced or not, they're not necessarily experienced with you and what you're going to run. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, and the 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 another reason that you would maybe have a more narrative game is just because maybe your storyteller, your dungeon master, just has a story they want to tell. Yeah. And if it's a good story, I'm in. Right. A lot of times we forget this aspect, especially you know, it's kind of an old school gaming idea where like the players are just along for the ride because the storyteller is sort of the leader who is you know, sending everybody on the mission or whatever. Um, but that's still, there's still an element that exists. There are still some storytellers who, uh, who really do have a, you know, a plot that they really want to, to share with their players. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates a little bit more of a narrative driven experience. Well, you know, like I don't listen to them as much as you do, but the, um, they're not called actual plays. That's video games. Um, where you listen live to play. live plays. Those games tend to be extremely narrative, and that's why you get those great performances because the people are able to to give the performance because they're not worried about how their character is going to capitalize on the situation. Right. Mm-hmm. They can just play that character in yeah. that moment. Yeah, and, and here's a spoiler, spoiler alert spoiler. for people who love things like Critical Role. That show is mapped out to the minute. Yeah. Because if it's not, they deliver a bad episode. I also think kind of the last the last thing is just like with the sandbox game, it's just preference. A lot yeah. of it is preference. And like I've said several times in this episode, if it's well delivered, I'm down for either one. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point is if it's fun. Right. And either one can be. What's your preference? Quick, Carrie. My, my preference, um, obviously, it's sandbox. Because you like mush? Well, I mean... I, and I'm not a rules person. Like, I, I don't, you know, like the... So, so I think that uh, you can be a little more freeform mm-hmm. without rules and stuff with... Uh, and so now I'm going to make a hyper-structured mush with no rules. Oh, gross. But everything has to... The, the plots are going to happen like this oh, every week. Gosh. Tune in. <laughs> I get, I get For my at. Harry Potter Supernatural Dresden crossover. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, I'd play that. <laughs> Well, what about you, Jason? Which do you prefer? Well, you know what? I want to say that I deeply prefer sandboxes, so I get to make all these great decisions and everything. But honestly, uh, most of the games I've really loved over the years have been more narrative-driven. They've had a plot that I've become invested in, and I want to find out what happens next. I've liked sandbox games that were more one-shotty. Yeah. But things that are long-running, I tend to get kind of bogged down in the... What, what is it when you can't make a decision because there's too many choices? Whatever that's called. You're, you're <laughs> overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, it's not even... It's less that I'm overwhelmed and more that I'm like, well, I could do any of this. Which one will be the most fun? I don't know. There's no way to know. <laughs> right. And while I can I can have fun in either one of them, I've, mm-hmm. I've had a really good time playing in games with strong narratives. I mean, to be fair, the games that y'all used to run, not that they... We didn't feel like we had choices. They did tend to be narratively driven, and I enjoyed them. Right. Because it was always a mystery to solve. And I love games that have a mystery at their core. Sure. And while sandbox games can have that sort of thing, it's usually not as strong and as important as it is in a narratively driven game. What about you, Ray? I, I really prefer my games to be about half and half. 
Sure. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like, for me, like, which is one of the reasons why I think I'm such a World of Darkness fan is because it falls right in the middle. You know, like... A really good World it, of Darkness can, game. Yeah. You've got lots of choices, but you've also got something cool going on. There's, there's a meta plot, but then there's also, you know... But uh, what I found is when a game is strictly sandbox... Uh, I, I start to get bored. Like, I can only have my character sit around and talk to other characters for so long before I feel like I'm just soap operating. Well, you know, the most important part of running a, like, a LARP that's sandboxy, to me, is is you have to have something for the players to interact with that gives them a reason to talk to each other. Right. If you want them to be talking to each other, it can't, you can't just put them in a room. Yeah, a sandbox game still needs plot. But the plot doesn't have to be, they're... They need to be driving it. Right. That's the big difference to me. They are completely in charge of it, and that should be creating conflicts, and that sort of thing will drive the play more. Uh, in a tabletop game, it doesn't have to be as conflict-driven as much. It seems to help in LARPs. The tabletop game, it can just be, what do they want to go explore this week? And as long as you've got something for them to explore, they can go do whatever they want. Right. So that's which ones you like better, but which one do you think is better? Okay, <laughs> I, I actually have a, a strong opinion about this. Okay. An extremely well-run sandbox game is better. Okay, how come? Because I played, like, I've mentioned this game a million times, Sinuous Sacrifice. Right. I played it once, I loved it, I'll never forget it, I cried. And I've very few video games are going to bring that out of me. Right. I still play Minecraft now. I'll never quit playing Minecraft until, I, for whatever reason, I, there's just no way to play it anymore. I'll always pick it up and piddle around with it for, you know, a few weeks at a time. And I'll never get away from it because it's a set of tools for me to build a story as I go. It's interesting because I say my preference, I, I think the opposite for mm -hmm. the exact same reason. Really? So I, for me, the fun, the, the fun in role-playing games is experiencing it. Sure. And so the longevity of the game is not as important as the experience I have. And so for me, I feel like the, a narrative-driven game is better because it provides a greater, more impactful experience. Uh, and when it's over, it's done. And that's okay. You know, sometimes there's that... Uh, to talk about Supernatural again, because for whatever reason it keeps coming up, like there are a lot of people whose pro greatest problem with Supernatural is they feel like it's just been on too long. Well, it's fifty seasons, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but uh, and I'm, they I'm have not three to... twenty episode seasons a year now, right? <laughs> but you know, I mean, there is that that element of uh, you know getting quitting while you're ahead. Sure, you know, like would we really would we really be looking back on? Firefly and talking about it being the greatest show ever if it had played out over 10 seasons? Almost certainly not. That's right, you know. Because it was a strong, what, like 12 episodes? Right. <laughs> so, you but know, you, I, for me, for me, the, the experience is greater, matters more than the longevity. Here's the deal for me, uh, and it's something that I'm struggling with right now. Uh, because the World of Darkness games tend to be very narrative-driven, uh, at some point... Even though somebody else is running a cool new take on it, I feel like I'm playing the same game still. Because right. it it's only got so much to give because it's built around these stories, but they're only certain kinds of stories at some point. So I'm burnt out on it, but right. I'm not burnt out on the idea of LARPing. There's tons of other LARPs I'd like to play, and most of the ones I'm most interested in 
are ones in which I've been given tools to do what I want with. Right. Now, again, I'll say my best experiences individually have been things that have been driven by a narrative. Sure. But the thing that I most anticipate is finding that game that scratches that itch of, I can do something interesting myself. What do you think's better? Um, I'm actually going to take a, a ticket from what you just said. I actually think the best games are the 50-50 games. There's something to that. Be, because I, I think um, giving players the space to grow mm-hmm. is, is awesome and amazing. And, you know, like, I, I love it when, like, I can walk up to my my uh, game master and be like, this is what I want to do. And they're like, excellent, I'll make that work. And, you know, and they work with you. But then you're going head to head against something that's in the universe that, you know, is is um, stoic or is is there. Right. And, and so, like, I think uh, it's the most realistic experience. Sure. Because I think in real life, you know, There's real life, NPCs. real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, real life is kind of a half sandbox because it's whatever you know your life you're what you're doing all these rules too and there's all these rules and things to go against and overarching arcs Mm -hmm. you know plots that you know we can or can't affect right um and so it's definitely a meta plot in real life uh, um we could do a whole episode on what is donald trump's alignment no right oh my gosh it's funny because i think um Oh, I just knocked over I think my, you just knocked something over. my power cord. Oh, just, just fell over. So the episode's going to go off suddenly. Right. <laughs> I think that the 50-50 thing is, is the best, but I also think that you have to be really careful as a game designer um, when you're figuring out, are you writing a sandbox or are you writing a, a, a narrative? You were talking about how how the the BNS werewolf and vampire books, the, how those were written to be more sandboxes. Right. And I also think that, that that's a great intent, but I think in practice it creates a game that is all over the place. Well... You know, because there's supposed to be... There's supposed to be this overarching driven narrative, but these the new books are written as a sandbox, and so there's like this lack of focus, and so the game feels all over the place when you play it now. Well, the theory is that the storyteller is supposed to design a narrative that sit, that fits within the universe and use those tools to do it with, and then the players have tools as well to interact with it. It probably works a lot better as a tabletop. Except you it's know, a LARP book. I, the concept that we're talking about would work well as a tabletop, and I think... There's just too many cooks in the kitchen for the LARP, that, that we're, the way we are LARPing with it. Right. Okay, so, what do you think? What do you mean? Is it I time to game wrap? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go ahead and go to game wrap then. All right. Yeah. If you're listening at home, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be listening in your car on the way to work. Well, there you go. We can be found at honorrollpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else that you listen to 
your podcast app. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at Honorable Podcast. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash honorable podcast. You can also send us an email at hosts at honorablepodcast.com. And also you can uh, go to patreon.com slash podcast and become a backer of our show and get free stuff. We like free stuff. I do. Yeah. I like I like mailing it out. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. This is lots of fun. All right. Well, let's go ahead and give out XP. Uh, Jason, congratulations. You hit the bonus point and are going to get one XP for every tattoo you have. Whoa! So, How many is that? Mm, well, none that I can show you. All right. All right, so Jason gets zero XP. So you, you only get XP that you can't use. <sighs> That's like normal XP. There you go. Wow. Carrie, you get, uh, you get five XP for sick leave. Oh, thanks. And you get another 5 XP for, uh, you know, just general show contribution. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I always just assume that he is. Right? Mm. All right, well, join us next week when our topic is running games while totally liquored up on NyQuil. Oh, no. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. Do you remember that? So this is the Milwaukee episode? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, remember, the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have have fun. fun. and opinions expressed on the Honor Roll podcast belong to just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else. All of the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Uh-huh.